Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Martin Willis, your host, and we've got a great one for you this evening. I was at the MUFON uh, Symposium in Cincinnati and sat down and talked with uh, Thiago Tecci of Brazil and Mike Masters. So it's a two-part pre-recorded coming up. I'll be here in the chat room during uh, during the show. Uh, I just wanted to let everyone know that uh, my good friend, uh, Lee Spiegel, um, this is just an update of what happened recently is uh, he passed away, of course, and I mentioned this last week. For those of you that did not hear that uh, this, I apologize. He did pass away on uh, the 14th, uh, 15th of August. And the people at the Huffington Post, where he worked for many years, went out to have drinks in his honor, and they came up with this wonderful idea of sending Lee's ashes into space. So, and I thought it was so fitting. So in the, uh, and we're gonna be running a tribute to him on the 21st and um, of September, and I'll be uh, posting that, of course, on this show and talking about that. A whole bunch of us are getting together for that. So the GoFundMe text is in the uh, show notes and in the YouTube text on this. Uh, so so check that out and donate if you feel up to it. Uh, so I would, oh, first of all, I would like to say that Charles Lear's blog is a uh, part two of last week's a 1976 British UFO and humanoid encounter with paranormal overtones. So I'd like to talk to you a little bit about next week's guest because I think it's very important. I'm really looking forward to it. Now, this is Jonathan Wigand. This is the second time he'll ever be talking about it. And I don't think you'll ever hear him talk about this again. And so Jonathan was a former Marine, Lance Corporal. He was involved in Project Laser Strike in Peru in the 1990s, late 90s. Uh, back in 1997, he was called out to a crash. Uh, they went out for about three hours in a Humvee, along with, uh, I think, four other Humvees. And uh, they get to this crash site, and there's something different about it right away. Uh, it's a, an incredible uh, incident with a teardrop-shaped craft, and it's wedged in the side of uh, the rocks uh, like a ledge, but he can actually get there without repelling or anything. Um, and it looks like it was damaged possibly by, he. He's, his opinion was that it looks like it might've been hit by a Hawk missile, uh, which they used uh, with the Project Laser Strike. This had to do with uh, drug running and things like that. Uh, and, uh, you know, he went up to the craft, it was changing colors, sort of like a pearl opalescence, but changing colors. And so was a fluid running out of it. It's just an incredible story. And uh, he is going to be, uh, talking about that. Oh, yes. And uh, armed men in black camel with no insignia showed up and aggressively they they took over the scene. Uh, just the rest of the story he was basically shackled and taken away and told not to speak about it. He persisted in talking about the fellow servicemen and they ended up he ended up paying the consequences for that. After his discharge in 2001, he felt like he wanted to talk about. No, I'm sorry after his discharge and in around 2001. He was not discharged in 2001, but around 2001, he felt like he had to talk about it in a public venue. And he heard about coast to coast and the topics they discussed there. So he contacted coast to coast and he asked for someone to help him. 
They put him in touch with uh, Dr. Stephen Greer, who at that time was doing pretty good work. And so back in 2002, uh, Leslie Kane and Bud Hopkins uh, both were involved in flying Jonathan to New York City, where he met with them. And he was interviewed at that time by Dr. Stephen Greer. It's a very well-known interview. It's up, um, I can post a link to it in the show notes. Um, but he has absolutely no interest in being part of the UFO community in any type of way or speaking about this again. Um, and when I talked to him last night, he said that he spends most of the time trying to forget about the whole thing. Uh, he really suffered PTSD from this situation. You'll know why once you hear his story. So for the last three years, a wonderful uh, listener uh, to this show who really likes the way I conduct the interviews, um, has uh, he's reached out to me and both Jonathan knows him and has been suggesting that John Jonathan speak on my show uh, for the last three years. And Jonathan has kept turning it down, said he really has no interest in talking about it. Then in uh, June, David Grush comes out, talks about uh, his whole situation. And then Jonathan says that he uh, feels it's time to talk about it one more time. So uh, that's coming up next week, September. I feel I wouldn't have him on my show and do everything I am doing if I did not think he was credible. I've asked uh, two former FBI trained people and a also a detective to watch his interview and they've come back to me and say they see no signs of deceit. Uh, he goes into great detail and they feel like it's a true story. And I'm not saying I don't have proof that it's a true story, unfortunately, but um, it is a, a very credible story. And so uh, he is going to speak uh, one more time and uh, he is using his real name, uh, Jonathan Wigan. And all of that I ask of you out there is you please do not try to contact him. He's really not interested in talking to the media or anyone else. So stay tuned for that on uh, next week, a week from today, September 5th. And that will, uh, I think it's going to be probably the most important show that I have ever done for sure. So anyway, thank you for listening to all that. And I am going to uh, get on with the uh, interviews today. I think you'll find them enjoyable. I'm with Tiago Cicchetti. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Uh, good to have you. You were on quite a while ago. I can't even remember when it was. It was, uh, was it four or five years ago? Yeah, I think it's in 2017, 18, 19. I, I yeah. don't know. It's uh, something like that. Yeah. 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 But I appreciate it. It was uh, nice to see you here and finally meet you. And here you are uh, up from Brazil. Thank so, uh, and we talked a little bit in line. Uh, I asked you if you were, if James Fox was in touch with you. And yeah, he did. He did. At the beginning of his uh, documentary, uh, documentary, and um, it was very, very good to see he did that because it took several years to finish it. That's right. Yeah. So, in the, in my opinion, it was a great, it's a great film. Yeah. And what do you think about? Well, first of all, we're going to get into that a little bit. But uh, there's a lot of people that are new to the UFO world constantly. I hear from new people that are just just found my channel. And uh, so I guess I'm going to ask you uh, what, you know, basically what got you interested in this topic 
And, you know, what started you on this research level? Well, uh, I always said that I was born with uh, ufology in my blood. Is that right? <laughs> There's no way to explain because since I remember, I love to read comic books like Spider-Man, Captain America in Brazil, and, uh, and uh, the Beatle that uh, recruits the Corp magazine from United States, uh, Ed Morton, Ed Morton. This was a recruit from the army. I think it's Beetle in, in English. In oh, Portuguese. yes, yes. Uh, yeah, I know, I know what you're talking about. Uh, Beetle Bailey? Yes. Yeah, in okay. Portuguese, is, uh, we call Recruta Zero, like Zero Corp. So, <laughs> and the UFO magazines. Yeah. Since I was a kid, I started to read. I, I read that. And um, my father liked the subject. And my father had a book called Chariots of the Gods. Oh, yes. Yeah. And I but when that came out, yeah, he, he didn't let me to touch it. <laughs> it's, it's his book, yeah. And uh, when he's uh, uh, getting the things from his closet, bring the book and put it in a, in a, in a bed, and then start to read it, and you know, see there's some pages, and then he gave to me. And uh, in '82, I saw a UFO, it was a, a, a very, very normal, normal. It's a, a, a close encounter of the zero kind. I just saw a light that came from the, the sky mm -hmm. and disappear in a mountain. And then wake up, appear again, make a, a movement, got brighter, reddish, and disappear. How old did you say you were? In 82, I was oh. eight years old. Ah, uh -huh. And uh, I remember it clearly, clearly in my mind. And since then, I got more interested in UFO subject. And then I, when I moved from Rio to Brasilia, where I live now, I joined a group, EBAT, it's an uh, entity to research the extraterrestrial phenomena. And I started to research. I never stopped. It's almost 30 years on it. Wow. <laughs> How about that? So, and what, it, what uh, are some of the cases that you've, Besides the one in Varginha, uh, what are some of the cases that you find really compelling in Brazil? Varginha is the top, yeah. well, top three, let's say top three. Yeah. Because we have also in Brazil uh, the plate operation that Bob Pratt investigated. And uh, we have the night of the UFOs in Brazil. It was in 1986 when mm -hmm. 20, 21 UFOs were chased in pursuit by five Brazilian air fight, uh, jet fighters. Mm. And it took six hours during the night into the dawn. And uh, they trying to get uh, this identified and trying to pursue and try to to get closer to, the, to this UFO, but it, it was impossible. Because mm. when the jet get closer and the UFO just got match uh, 15. So it's impossible to mm. pursue. And we had a plate operation that happened in 1977, where uh, UFOs were shooting light of beams of light in people and get the iron from their blood. Why, I said, because everybody that got hit by that light. Oh, I remember what, that. I yeah, Bob Wright yeah. studied that, researched mm -hmm. that. And uh, they went to the hospital and they got anemia. 
And it means a uh, lack of, of iron in the blood. So everyone, anyone, one person died. Right. Officially, one person died. One yeah. person died. And the Virginia, of course. Virginia happened in 1996 when a UFO crashed in Virginia City, is a city of uh, Minas Gerais State. And uh, at least five to seven aliens were seen. And uh, we got, so far we know that at least two, they were captured dead. One were, were shot by military and, dead, huh. and, and died. Another one. Now, why, why would they shoot him? I mean, you know, unarmed. I mean, a, I don't know. Naked and afraid. <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> you know. We don't know. Yeah, we don't know why. Strange. We don't know why. Yeah. The other one was captured alive, and the the military uh, sheriff died after that because right. he touched it. Yeah, touched it in the in the alien and got a, an infection a week later mm. and died two weeks right. later. And he was a young guy too. And young yeah. guy, healthy. Yeah. So. We don't know, and uh, now we are we are pressing, pushing the army to disclosure the documents. Mm. We are using in Brazil a, a, a law like a, the Freedom of Information Act. You yeah. have it here in the United States. We have a, a similar law in Brazil that we are asking for that because the secrecy that at maximum in Brazil should be twenty five years. Just pass it. Mm. So they 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 must give the documents to the public, and they try they are trying to 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 close it. Mm. So well, you know, a lot of times you hear and here in the states where sometimes documents end up being missing, they can't find them. You know, I mean that you you can expect that could possibly happen. Yes, because when we ask, he gave us documents with a black all black documents and there's a we found in some documents a, a number a number of protocol that was not blanket and uh, we asked for that protocol protocol is like a, a documentation and they answer us well there's no protocol like that wait a minute you gave us a document blanket all in black but miss you 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 let you leave a protocol number <laughs> and in brazil if you have uh, uh if you lose or destroy a document you have to create a protocol showing that to destroy it or you you miss it oh really so you have really, to you you have yeah. to do it yeah because if if you don't do it it's a crime mm. so they have to answer us about that yeah and we are pushing yeah and what what uh, so you you do like you fill out the forms like we do here and yes you just have to wait patiently to see what you get for a response yes yeah. they have they have uh 15 days oh to response wow. but they can you know uh take more 15 days and take more 50 days they can expand the limit the deadline mm. but they have to answer it yeah. and one of or answers or questions. Uh, there's no way to to give more time for them. So a, a federal department in Brazil just asked it to the army. You have 15 days to give them the answer. Where are 
this document. Destroy it. If you destroy it, the name of protocol. If the mm. missing, the name, the number of the protocol that they open an investigation to find out how that document is missing. Mm. Wow. So yeah. we are. That'll be interesting. Yes. We are, yeah. we are, we are pushing it in. A, we are trying to get it. Yeah. Now, do you believe I've, I've, sp I've spoken many times to James Fox about this situation in particular? And uh, there were some things he told me that I can't. He asked me not to talk about. So I haven't been able to talk about them. But as far as you know, do you think that there is video and photography? of the beings themselves yeah and, and you think that's out there yeah there is because let's be be honest if you see you a, a, a ufo or or a alien want to take a picture of course yeah. for investigation yeah. mm -hmm. for autopsy mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and uh, i believe there is a photos and there's a film but we don't have neither of them now right what about them. Not a lot was spoken about the the craft, what supposedly may have crashed. And is there speculation about that? I don't remember James getting really into that, about how that was retrieved or has anybody, you know, I know there was a, also a, an American military presence, which yeah. always seems to happen. Yeah, uh, in, a, in, a, in a film of the, uh, James Fox film, there's, he got the, he, presents on the, on, the, on the film, the person who, who saw the aircraft crash. Right, yes. He was he was passing in a, in a road and saw that something, and, and he got there because he, he thought it was an airplane. Mm. Uh, the, military, the military was there and pushed him away. Yeah. And uh, the night before, a couple that live in, uh, near the Virginia they saw the UFO as a cylinder UFO with a hole in the back uh, uh, and white smoke mm. from the back. But it was very slow. The UFO was very slow <laughs> and lower yeah. and getting lower. But they never saw that thing crashing. Mm. But that witness saw it. I just forgot his name, but he saw it in, in, a, in, a, in a documentary by, by James Fox. Uh, they went to this that place and they've been such cry because that's we, right i remember we remember yeah recalling everything that happened to him and he has no reason to lie right no yeah. reason that that thing is those things that can rule your ruin your life yes not get not expect to be famous and uh, a hollywood actor no it's yeah. not that good yeah it's <laughs> not that good i can tell yeah. you yeah there's there's so many situations that I've seen in looking into this topic where I think, why would this person make this up? You know, I mean, there's so many times where there's just no benefit. No, you know, not. no one's out. I mean, no one goes into this. Maybe there's a very small fraction of people that think they're going to make money out of it somehow. I remember I was contacted by someone that said that he had a really great picture of a UFO, but he wanted $10,000 for it. This was someone, you know, that just was looking online. They saw my website and they thought, oh, well, you know, uh, you know, but it's so rare that people uh, associate money with uh, I give a, I give an, uh, an example, Travis Walton, 
Is he rich? No. No, Travis is not rich. Yeah. And he keep telling what he experienced. Yeah. And uh, he lost friends, he lost jobs. But he keeps doing because well, I I I I spoke with with him a year ago. We were, we were together in Sao Paulo. And he and we, we met from years um and uh he still saying the same the same same thing yes yeah he he ain't, he ain't rich well he told me that he you know he's retired so he uses his pension a lot of times to go to these conferences and you know they'll they'll sometimes pay his way sometimes you know pay for his hotel room uh, yeah some but he just yeah. does it because he, he wants and to get it out there about Virginia, we have testimonies from military that uh, uh, participate from the, the, the cover-up operation. But some are still on, in army, and some so this, uh, uh, retired officers, retired militaries, but they keep saying, we don't want to show our faces. Mm, right. Because yeah. they are in the army, and in the others that are not, uh, because they're afraid to get some trouble. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think that's uh, unreasonable to feel that way. I mean, with all the ridicule over the years and everything, you know, of course, it's now, you know, things have changed a lot. It seemed to have in this country where people accept it a lot more, but it's going to take a while before a lot of people will feel comfortable talking about it, I think. Yeah, you, you, what's happening here in the United States? Uh, the people, the witness that want to, to, to talk, now they have, they have more security, more, you know, uh, they are not afraid to tell because now they have congressmen behind them. So you can talk, you can yeah. talk and nothing is going to happen to you. Yeah. Well, yes, except, uh, you know, this, it, there's an example though with David Grush, you know, there's. Uh, it seems like almost on a daily basis, uh, you can see that there's an article out. I think one just came out. Um, and, you know, people are welcome to their opinion and stuff like that. But still, there's they seem to be trying to discredit him yeah. in different ways. Is, the, is the, the, the tactic they have because they cannot, uh, in the past, they just got, just, just be silenced. Let that let it die. This this information die itself. Now, in the parliament, in in the, in, in senate, they have to talk. They have to answer. Yeah. yeah. And they now using another tactics. One mm -hmm. of them is give all all uh, no credit for David, as they did to Bob Lazar. Mm -hmm. In my opinion. Yeah. My opinion. And uh, I think this is thing that they do in the whole world, in Brazil as well. It's now it's changing in Brazil. It's changing in Brazil. But when uh, I was younger and I said, oh, no, I research UFO. That's, it doesn't exist. You are, you are a loony. You're crazy. Now the people come to me to, oh, I saw yeah. something very nice. I know you. I, I know your YouTube channel. I saw you in a history channel. I saw you on TV. Yeah, yeah. And it's changing. Yes, yes. Changing. 
That's right. Now, have you ever worked with anyone in Chile? Chile? Chile, yes. Rodrigo Fuenzalida. Ah, uh, okay. I know Jose Ley. Do you remember Jose Ley? I heard. Yes. Yeah, real, real nice, real nice gentleman. They, it's nice that they take UFOs seriously. That's you know through in the government there. Chile, Uruguay, um, what else? I think Peru and Ecuador. But I know, I know that Chile and Uruguay had inside the government, they had a department of a, a group, civil, civilian and military working together. Mm. In Uruguay. They had the military studying UFOs with help of ufologists. In Argentina as well, they had it. And Chile, they do. Brazil, we got closer, very closer in 2013. We got a meeting at the, at the Ministry of Defense in Brazil with the Army, Navy, and Air Force. Mm. And uh, yeah. we, we were arranging to create a group civilian and military to investigate. But then we had we had the impeachment of the president, so oh yes, yeah. We lost everything. <laughs> and then now we're trying to rebuild it. Yeah. Yeah. Now where do you live geographically in the country? I mean in the middle of Brazil, in the middle of Brazil, Brasilia. Yeah, yeah. Brasilia. Uh-huh. The capital. And is there uh is there like a reporting where people can report a UFO signing? In Brasilia? Yes. Yes. How does that work? They got me by email. Brasilia, well, Brasilia has 2 million people mm. living in Brasilia, mm -hmm. living and working in Brasilia. And uh, it's a small, Brasilia is very small, very small. It's a, it's a square. The DF is a square. And uh, people know me there. Because my parents in, in radios and podcasts and, and TV in Brasilia, me in Brasilia. And uh, they got touch with me by email, by WhatsApp. I don't know how they got my <laughs> WhatsApp number. I don't know. <laughs> but it's very common. People got in touch with me on Facebook. Or so they it. report to you. Report to me. So there's no like service like MUFON reporting center or anything? I like always direct him to do it through the CMS MUFON. I see, yeah. But I don't dis don't dismiss the, when they get mm -hmm. to me. I just, okay, let's do it, but please start the CMS phone. The great problem is in, in English. Oh, yes, of course. You, of course, mm -hmm. if you click on a, a right side of a, of a mouse, you can translate to Portuguese, but people uh, don't understand too much that. Mm. So they get information, got information to me, yeah, sent to me, and I try to investigate. I see. So you actually help them report that way. Yeah. And uh, how would you say the activity is as far as like how many times do you get contacted, say on a <laughs> monthly basis or something like that? Twice, three times a day. A day. A day. Oh. A day. A day. Wow. A day by Instagram. Facebook, Messenger, WhatsApp, email. And our people say, I saw something or send me a, a, a film or a photo. 95, 96% is explainable. We yes. can explain. Yeah. No problem at all. It, right. And people get mad with me. Yeah. Because well, they want it, to be extraterrestrial. <laughs> yes. uh, yeah, I've had <laughs> that happen too. Yeah. <laughs> 
you came to me. Yes. I'm telling you what I think it is. Yes. Yeah. It's up to you to accept or not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's right. But, uh, and uh, we have the five, four percent that cannot explain. Yeah. Mm. In that case, we, we go deeper to try to to explain to the people, to the person that sent to us. Yeah, yeah. And can you talk about some of them that have been really compelling that people have reached out to you? I mean, has there been some that are just really amazing? Well, uh, I was investigating a UFO case in Gama. Uh, Gama is a city near Brasilia. There's a UFO was seen in a, for three days in a doll. It was happening in 2022. And uh, uh, near a prison, a female prison, mm -hmm. the UFO was over the prison and make several movements in the sky and had no sound. Mm -hmm. And uh, the witness recorded and sent for, to a friend that knows me. And I uh, started to, to, to investigate this case. I, I thought that was a drone. Uh -huh. He make a, a drawing of that earth, it's a drone, but that in that area is forbidden to have drone because it, there's a prison there. So uh -huh. I got in touch with the military police that control the prison and asked him, asked them, and they said, no, there's no drone here. Uh, we're not using drone in this area. It's forbidden. Mm -hmm. We we can see if there's a drone. We shut down the drone with their weapons, mm -hmm. especially weapons. And uh, I start to looking for more witnesses in that uh, in that area, and I found it mm. three more witnesses mm -hmm. that the same day there was three days, but in some days they saw something, and there was and uh, it was a, a very large square shape object, mm. big like five or six meters. Mm -hmm. And one of the witnesses said that that UFO or coupe, something like that, almost landed. But when his dog started to barking, the UFO just flew away. Mm. For me, it's the first time that that happened because normally when the UFO appears, the animals got uh, get in silence. Yeah. There's all types of reactions. And Linda Zimmerman's doing a, a talk on that. She's been on the, the show great book. A great oh, book. Oh, yes, I read the book. It is really great. great book. Yes. So uh, I concluded I concluded that it was a UFO, a UAP. I mm. cannot explain. It's not a not airplane, was not a helicopter, was not a drone, nothing like that. Mm -hmm. And I tried to find if in in a in a, in a terrain has some burning grass, burning grass, but there's nothing because UFO never landed. And, uh, but there was three different, four different witnesses. Mm. That makes the, the case more readable. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Always, so yeah. it was very interesting. We, well, I, I closed the case like a UFO, but who knows? Speaking of the word UFO, and I just heard you say UAP, what do you call them in Brazil? In Brazil, we're still calling UFO. Yeah. Because yeah. we we that's we, fine with me. <laughs> we say we say ovnis is ovnis is uh, UFO in Portuguese. Mm -hmm. The same thing, just translated. And UAP, the I'm trying to put 
more UAP in my articles, in my in my speech, in my programs, in my videos. But people still ask me, what's UAP? <laughs> it's a UFO. <laughs> <laughs> I said the same thing the other day. It's a yeah, UFO. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. That's right. And so do you have other people that like help you out? I mean, if all these people are calling you, I mean, is there any type of group you have there? Yeah, I, I have the, the Brazilian Commission of uh, Ufologists, hmm. which I'm, I'm present and they help me. Mm -hmm. And then we have a person, uh, people in, in Brazil, we have one in Brazilia, three or four in Sao Paulo, one in Rio do Sul State. And, uh, what happened in Brazilia, I deal with. Mm -hmm. And uh, what happened in other states, I, I sent to them. Mm. But now it, I'm trying to get more people involved, like MUFON Brazil. Yeah. I have to have more people right. associated to MUFON doing the, the, the field uh, researcher certificate, field, field training. And uh, because there many times I cannot investigate all the cases mm. and they need help oh sure and they would try to do that i mean a, a lot of these people that are volunteering have a real job you know i and, do and i, you have, do. I yeah. have a real job yeah i have a real job so and and you you, you spend all your time and you, you your travel and that's all i mean if you didn't have a passion for it you wouldn't be doing that right it's a passion it's a passion yeah. because i have to work yeah and the first i have to work second Free time when I have free time with my family. Right, you have a family. My family. Nice family. I have a a yeah. wife, a boy, yeah. and a girl. Yeah, yeah. And then I have time for me. Yes. That's apology. <laughs> That's apology. Yeah. Watch a, a soccer game. Yeah. For yeah. ninety minutes, and then back to apology. But I have all my attentions for my 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 work, of course, most part of my day, and my yeah. family. Sure. Yeah. And the apology comes in third. Yeah. But I love it. It's a passion. Yeah. So it's I, hard to balance it all. But. Yeah. But I said, but I said my wife, when I get retired, yeah, I spend most 50% of my time with my family, the other 50 chasing aliens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm lucky that I can do this type of thing, like come out here myself. I'm, I would call myself semi-retired. So I'm putting a lot more effort and it's a lot more fun. I would get you know, there. What I I'll get there. And I have a wonderful producer. Uh, Donna and uh, and girlfriend, so it makes it really a lot of fun. We have the same interests; it's very nice. My so, my 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 wife supports me a lot. That's wonderful. But he didn't like it. It's not not like it. Yeah, she, no interest. Yes, yes, she love yeah. it when when I when I travel when I I do my my speech my my participation in, in Congress symposium, but it's not their thing. Hair, yeah. hair thing. I, I totally get that. <laughs> uh, one last, well, one last question. Um, we're talking about the Virginia case, and do you believe that craft was recovered by the your military, your military, and if so, or do you have any thoughts? I know it's speculation, but do you have any thoughts of where that debris or whatever was left to whatever crashed would be now? I think our military took the material, the, the UFO and the alien means, mm -hmm. and gave to the USA. Uh, I, I, I wondered about that. Yeah. And I think, I think James Fox sort of a, 
alludes to that. We we have uh, it's it's a speculation, but we have strong evidences that uh, uh, all the all the things of Virginia, the beings, the, the, the extraterrestrials, and the sheep was sent to USA. We have uh, information confirmation that the uh, airplane arrived in, in, in Campinas. There's no sign, there's no US, there's no NASA. Mm-hmm. NASA was in, was in Campinas. Campinas is a city of the University of Campinas where the, the, the aliens were brought. Mm. And uh, that airplane uh, arrived, the engines start working, mm-hmm. they put some boxes and then flew away. Yeah. And sometime later, we got as a present the first astronaut, Brazilian astronaut in the space. Hmm. About that. A ticket. <laughs> we gave them, we gave to the United yeah. States something, and they gave us a ticket to ride in the space. That's very interesting. So, but yeah. the Brazilian astronaut was very able, very capable to, to do that. But it was very close. So mm-hmm. coincidence, maybe. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we have that suspicious. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure and really great to meet you in person. And uh, where can someone find you? Can someone reach out to you? And I, I know you're, you're, you're getting a lot of <laughs> people reaching out to you in Brazil itself, <laughs> but if anyone has a quick question for you or something like yeah, that. Yeah, you can, you can uh, find me at uh, my social media, mm-hmm. uh, you write down. I, yeah, there. I'll have that in the show notes. Yeah. <laughs> and they can reach me by email, by Facebook, by Instagram, yeah. TikTok, everything. You okay. can reach me. Excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. All right. Back again with the one and only Mike Masters. <laughs> How you doing? Great, Martin. It's, it's always it's, great. I it's don't know a, if we've ever done this together in person. It's never. fantastic. No, no. Uh, we've met a couple of times. We have. And yes. uh, yeah, that was, uh, I'm trying to remember, I think it was Phoenix, right? It was International UFO Congress 2019. Yeah. Was it then? Yeah. Right before everything happened. It was. It was one of the last things before everything happened. Yeah. And then everything didn't happen because of that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. For a while. Yeah. And yeah. So anyway, uh, this, this event was, you had a big audience. Today? Did I? I don't know. Yeah. Relative numbers. It was several hundred. I don't know. I mean, the room was full. Yeah. So it, it looked like it from the stage. Yeah. People were really interactive and yeah. seemingly engaged. I only saw one person sleeping. So that's, <laughs> that's always a good sign. So I'd like to... Uh, First, reintroduce you. I know you've been on the show, I don't know, three, four times, but uh, there's a lot of new listeners that I always have to keep that in mind. Yeah. So who is Michael Masters? 
Um, he is an embodied form of the unmanifested realm. Uh, it was manifested, I guess, by default at that point. Um, no, Ego is Mike Masters. He's um, a professor at Montana Tech. It's a science and engineering university in Butte, Montana. Uh, I'm a biological anthropologist. I do research and a lot of different areas, mostly biomedical research, looking at eyes, vision, things like that. And then, um, yeah, I wrote some books about the UFO phenomenon, mostly from the standpoint of whether they could be our future human descendants coming back to study their own past. And um, <clears throat> yeah, I've sort of been an advocate for that model, obviously yeah. still embracing other models and recognizing that that can't explain everything, but I do think it helps account for a lot of the weird um, and even very conventional aspects of the UFO phenomenon. I don't know if I've ever asked you this, but when was the very first time you ever thought of, did it just pop in your head one day or? It did, yeah, I was eight years old actually. Eight uh, years eight, old? Eight years really? old. Yeah, I talked about that today in my lecture a little yeah. bit, how it's weird how I often. Yeah, I was a little bit late. So. You were asleep, you were the guy that was sleeping. <laughs> That was me. I'm yeah, sorry. I know. I was watching sorry, you, bro. Too many times. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, it's a hard time of day, you know. It's yeah. getting to be dinner time. Yeah. No, I was eight years old, and um, uh, yeah, what I was talking about is how it's funny that correlates with when the Catholic Church starts indoctrinating kids, because well, I shouldn't use that word, because they think that that's when logic, or the Church decided hundreds of years ago that that's when logic enters our being, and we can decide for ourselves, and then they indoctrinate children. Um, <clears throat> so I was eight years old. I looked up on the living room shelf, saw Whitley Strieber's classic book, Communion, and had this sort of flash and then pictured an early hominin chimpanzee, a modern human, and then this alien form. And um, yeah, that question entered my mind. Could they be us from the future? And it's been um, a lifelong pursuit. Since then, I, I came to realize because I've had about four or five other instances of uh, conscious precognition. And then I eventually realized that was one of them. It was a very early, the first instance of conscious precognition. I've had, I've had dream precognition my entire life. It's extremely common, but that that's one of a handful of times that it's been like while I was awake and interacting with the material world, so to speak, to mm -hmm. quote Madonna, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, in a nutshell, for the first time listener of your theory and your books, is basically it's us evolved coming back from the future to examine, more or less. Well, partly, yeah. So, and that part makes sense in relation to what I do as a biological anthropologist. Like, if I could pick of our past hominin ancestors and study them, uh, I would do the same thing. Like I've been on a bunch of digs. I worked in South Africa two summers. I worked at a 150,000 year Neanderthal site in Southern France for a wow. season. Uh, tons of Native American sites throughout Ohio, Montana. <clears throat> and yeah, it's like, you can only get so much from bones and teeth and artifacts. But if we could pick them up, we would do all the same things that people are reported doing or being subjected to by these beings in these instances of abduction. But 
that's obviously one small part of it. I think they're also tourists on some occasions. I also think they're doing something for themselves, especially with regard to the gamete extraction. Um, you know, why, why do they always take sperm samples from men, eggs mm -hmm. from women? Like, I don't think it's because they're doing something to us. I think they're doing something for themselves. And I list a number of reasons in my books, uh, especially the second one, like current trends. For instance, there's been a 50% reduction in sperm counts in men over the last 40 years. 60% yeah. in the Western world, largely because of pollution, they think. Um, you know, in vitro fertilization selects for people who are arguably selected against or helping people reproduce that in nature wouldn't be able to reproduce. Um, there's just a, a lot of reduced fertility fecundity things. Mm. There could be a bottleneck in the future if all of these, you know, warnings of cataclysm and wars come to pass. Like, you know, maybe they're trying to get wild type genes from a time before these this massive bottleneck happens. You know, and, and we're just trending toward being a more homogenized population in general because it used to be separate human populations. There'd be gene flow amongst them, and now yeah. we're all just becoming one inbred island. Of Earth. Now, I heard, uh, I remember reading something, or I do believe I read it, that within, say, the way things are going in the United States, that they, uh, eventually it will be brown eye, brown hair, and, you know, we're going to evolve to that if the, the trends stay the same, that mostly that would be like the overpowering. Yeah, I mean, if you do average out all of the different skin tones and eye colors and hair colors, mm. it's a brownish color. <clears throat> you know, so then the question becomes if they are descendants, why gray? Why yeah. a lack of pigmentation? Yeah. And this is an interesting aspect of um, recent human evolution, actually about last 12 to possibly 30,000 years, we have been domesticating ourselves. And with that comes more pro-social behaviors and a really interesting aspect, and I go into like the genetics of this in my second book, is that across the board, whenever there's a domestication happening with animals, and we've domesticated a lot of animals, so we see it in them. Uh, one of the first studies was with foxes, but we see the same thing in ourselves, is that you have um, more docile behaviors, you know, uh, growls turn to barks, tails go from up to down, and we do the same thing. We, we are selected uh, behavioral characteristics that are more pro-social where we interact with each other, we form unions, collaborations, as opposed to just killing each other. Those are selected for. But another one is depigmentation. Because, mm. yeah, you average everybody out, we're going to be kind of a brownish color. But then also if these trends toward a feminization of our cranial facial form is another one, if these trends that occur in association with self-domestication persist, that might help explain why the gray color comes about. Because we just lack pigmentation as domesticated entities. Interesting. No, now, a, a lot of things, I, I consider <clears throat> this just like, you know, if you bring it down to the basics, the urge to mate and, and you know, carry, a strong urge. It is. Yeah. <laughs> it is. But also, it has a lot to do with being attractive uh, to each other. It, it always seems like, you know, when I look at these old paintings, you know, from 400 years ago, uh, or whatever you know, the people there were, is very rare that was an attractive person, but attractive gravitates to attractive and the, the mating and yeah. you know all that. And, and attractive California, changes over time too. That's true. 
but in California, you know, they're, they're beautiful people and all that, you know I mean? But what I'm getting at is when you think about the grace, they're all very uniform. Yeah. And I think there's a couple of things behind that. Uh, I've come to believe, and many others have argued before, this isn't original material, that the grays, some of them at least, may be some kind of uh, biologically engineered automatons. Like a drone. Type. A drone. Walking but, drone. But I think at some point, like we're, right now we're working with robotics, like iRobot and all of those. We're making yeah. humanoid things largely for the sex industry because that's, you know, the cash cow. Like how the internet worked because yeah. of porn, you know, like that's yeah. what makes money. People find ways to do it. So I think there's going to be like sex robot driven, very human looking and acting robots. But then eventually we're going to realize it's way easier to do that by just manipulating the human genome, you know? So, and then there, there's the question of consciousness is, is consciousness imbued in this thing that you created with your knowledge of genetics that you grow from an entity, does consciousness enter that in the way it enters us uh, when your pineal gland turns on or at birth or whatever, or at the first heartbeat if you're Catholic? So is that thing that we're seeing some sort of biologically engineered droid? And it would make sense if you're sending things back through time or even interstellar, you know, you're not gonna initially send people and maybe the ones that crash are a biased sample of those that are experimental, the early stage, we're sending this pre-programmed droid to do these things. So they're not human, but they're developed from human DNA for this purpose. You know, and and, and I don't necessarily believe that, or, but it does make sense in the context of, A, the dangers of time travel, B, all the weird shit that's been talked about by like Russian stuff with the biologics, like mm. he's saying they're not human. So if they're manufactured, if they're biological drones that are that have human DNA, you know, John Ramirez talks about this all the time, that that's the real secret is that these have human DNA. But if they're manufactured, you still have to ask the question, who made them? Mm. And if they have human DNA, we're using our own DNA to make these more advanced robots where all the moving parts are stupid. You know, we get to the point where we're like, well, we can do that just by making something from us that does this thing then yeah, I think that could help explain some of those characteristics too. And we make robots in our own image. You would expect them to make them in their image. So maybe they look like them. I see. But they yeah. perform a task, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And they have all everything they need. A lot of times you hear, you know, there's no visible nose, maybe, maybe nostrils. Uh, there's, uh, you know, a mouth slit. And yeah. Cause they still have all... to breathe. They still need yeah. oxygen for yeah. fuel. They still need pancakes, I guess, for energy. Or do they eat? I mean, or do the they mouth eat? is much, you know, are they given, given food some other way? Or yeah. Whatever, or but at the same time, those those traits do mimic what we'd expect to see in the human future. Mm. So if they are droids, I still think they're made by humans. But I just, I'm not willing to say that all of these things recovered are humans. I think we will probably outsource that. And then you have like Whitley Strieber talking about the little gray that, took him he kind of thought it was robotic you know the, mm -hmm. the ones that took charles hickson or charles yeah i always get the names of charles hickson and calvin parker, calvin parker was an actual robot you know that yeah that was a freaking robot and they said that too but then About you the seemingly grabbed them on the yeah yeah with yeah. the you know weird antenna things and they hovered elephant skin um but then there are seemingly ones 
that are humanoid, but I think we need to extend the categories. You know, it's not just human, tall, gray, short, gray, hybrid, but then I think there might actually be like some, not necessarily robotic, like that's the closest thing we can, that we have that we can sort of put in that frame of reference. But yeah, I think there may be biologically manipulated. I don't know. Mm -hmm. It's just, I'm constantly trying to evolve my knowledge of what's going on here. And this is sort of a recent thing, but just everything that's coming out, I'm trying to figure out how it fits. And that just seems to make the most sense that we'd eventually move past moving parts that need Mm -hmm. lubricated and, um, and just start using genetics. Yeah. And when will that become morally okay? Tomorrow. It's going to be tomorrow. Nine, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. See, that's the thing, because it, it really does hinge on the consciousness question. Yeah. If we're making something that doesn't feel, yeah, it's just a worker. I mean, stem cell research is getting, you know, I mean, gets axed because of the, you know, the mor- morals that people think, you know, uh, a lot of, a lot of things have, I mean, it would be quite a push, but I mean, we're talking, who knows what's going to happen in the future and how people will think, you know, we're, we always project our now thinking on the past and on the future. Yeah. And, and, and you know, circle back, even though I hate that expression, uh, I was talking about some of the problems that we're already having with fecundity and fertility and the reasons behind it. It's very possible that that drive to find you know, designer babies or to cure illness uh, will cause us to use CRISPR or some newer technology that will probably come after that to manipulate our genome if we modify something that becomes heritable where it ends up in our sperm and egg and gets passed on. We could potentially create a serious problem for the the human future. So Mm. maybe to mitigate that, they come back and get genes from before they did that. Yeah. You know, so I don't know. Maybe it's all related and, well, that, and creating these yeah. little time travel droids to take the fall at Roswell. They screw something up with our entire genome. I don't know. And one of the things I heard you say tonight at the talk is, you know, you could be cherry picking these things, but you, you try to look at all sides of it. Yeah. Which, is, which uh, I, I appreciate, um, you know, research like that. So well, just yeah. real quick, it's a fine line because I'm trying to make a case for this theory. Yeah. Well, also plain devil's advocate, you know, yeah. bringing in these other cases that don't fit. Yeah. But I have to choose those two. And that's the problem. You know, I would love to work with a sample of 10,000 UFO cases and just study that, mm-hmm. you know, but to make this case, uh, I have to select some. And yeah, I try to a, acknowledge any potential biases in that and B, be fastidious and picking ones from different time periods. My, my second book, it's 93 years and five continents, you know, to get the temporal and the spatial and pulling ones, like I said tonight with, with Betty Hill, you know, the, the bastion of the ET hypothesis because of the star map. But mm. regardless in doing this, there's always going to be selection bias. There's no way around that. Yeah. But yeah. admitting it, I think, is important, too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, my friend Mark D'Antonio, I'm sure you know Mark. Yeah. 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 He has... Uh, one of the times I was speaking with him, I don't know, in a restaurant or whatever, he, he talked about that he thought the dinosaurs were developing a larger and larger brain, you know, before they became extinct with that extinction event. So this is just uh, an opinion I'm going to ask you. What do you think would be 
if the dinosaurs were never wiped out, A, do you think we would be here? Uh, and B, uh, do you think that they would have developed an intelligence if their brains kept developing? Uh, A, no, B, yes. Because I've seen Jurassic Park and those velociraptors are smart as shit. <laughs> but no, um, so we, we wouldn't be here because what happened is that there was an adaptive radiation that happened when dinosaurs, daytime dinosaurs that didn't fly or swim, were not eradicated, but limited significantly. And so what that did is it allowed us homeothermic mammals that were only active at night to come out during the day. And then we went everywhere and our ancestors went up in the trees about 65 million years ago. And then we came down from the trees about six to 8 million years ago. But if that hadn't happened, our early mammalian ancestors couldn't have come out during the day. They would have stayed underground. They wouldn't have gone in the trees, gotten stereoscopic vision, grasping fingers, um, all of these unique primate characteristics. And if we hadn't come down from the trees, we wouldn't be humans. Yeah. So yeah, that definitely had to happen. Uh, B was, what was the second question? Yeah. Uh, do what would happen if would the, they have developed the intelligence yeah what, what would happen if dinosaurs were here today with all these you know millions of years do you think they'd be yeah. smart enough to maybe but they, they have the stupid little arms thumbs. yeah the little, little arms like what do you do with those <laughs> you, I mean, can't you could get one of those stand-up desks you yeah. know where you type like this but you're not gonna like make fire with flint you probably couldn't even touch your hands together but no, our, our hands are a big part of that. Like we're the yeah. only primate that can touch our pinky. Yeah. Ask yeah. a chimpanzee to do that, you know, and flip them off yeah. and say, yeah, I can do yeah. that. Um, but these hands, our brains standing upright, there's so many things, unique things about humans that went into why we can sit here and talk about this, you yeah. know, and, and they can't uh, screw them for that. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, another thing I thought of when you were, talking today and you made a good point you said that uh if we were to uh like go back in, in like a species was to go back in time and we were from cincinnati we wouldn't go to dubai i think you said something along those lines something like that but there is a there is a reason i'm saying you did say something like that. Yeah, you kind of botched it there, though. And I, I'm okay. not calling you out. I'm just saying that, right. that that is an important part of the argument. Is What I was saying is that with, with temporal, I think one of the reasons why we see humans more often, and this was shown by the Dr. Edgar Mitchell study, is that the most commonly described form is human, just like yes. us. So I equated that to geographic proximity, where you see people in Cincinnati more often because if you yeah. live here, that's where you interact yeah. with. Like you could travel, they could travel here. Yeah. But you see them less often because they're farther away in space. Yeah. So I think that's why we see the reptilians less, the mantis-like humans less, the tall grays less, because they're so far away from us in time that we're a tiny blip on their radar. Like they could travel to it. any of these very different periods in I the same it. way I that people it. could travel across space. I, I, it was just a metaphor. I, I was too far back in the room. I didn't catch everybody. I should have talked louder. That's my yeah. fault. <laughs> no, that's Turned right. up the mic. Well, my point was getting back to this, it may, it may not even be related now, but I was trying to make this question fit using that because I'm always puzzled why there's the same craft seen in the same location like 
five nights in a row mm -hmm. instead of if they got here from wherever they came from why don't they explore other parts of the world right. whatever and they're like uh, i was just thinking of lee spiegel's lumberton north carolina he went down there because of the yes lee spiegel he went down there because they were seeing the police kept seeing this over and over again you know night after yeah night and that's why i went down there and saw for himself now, I mean, that's always puzzling to me why they show up in the same place repeatedly. The Belgian Triangle, UFO. Right. You know, all that well, stuff. I mean, this is just one case study, but I, I think it is telling because I, I talked about the Mike and Leo Dorschat case from the, I think, 1933. It's the first case study I highlight in my second book. Um, and they asked him that, like, why do you keep coming back here? His little brother, Mike, who eventually died in the Korean War, asked him, why do you keep coming back here? And I showed this quote in its entirety because I think it's revealing, is that they said we keep coming back to this place to monitor the environment as the environment gets deeper into trouble throughout the future. Hmm. Which And they were like collecting grasshoppers. That was the main way that they were getting that environmental ecological data. And it's interesting because two things, it shows concern for the environment again, which is a big part of my talk. What's their intent, their origins and intent, which I think helps address the friend or foe question. Mm. Um, but then also it shows future knowledge. They said they didn't say in case your world gets deeper into trouble. They said as your world gets mm. deeper into trouble, as your environment gets deeper into trouble. So I think that unto itself is revealing too. It's obviously not the case for all of them. There's probably many, many different reasons that they're coming back to the same place or the same region. Maybe it has something to do with, um, you know, like electromagnetism too. Steve Mira talks yeah. about that. There's certain places yeah. where it's more conducive to entering and exiting these areas. You know, another quote from that same interview, I highlighted part of his, his interview, but another thing he says later, it's like if they're interstellar, we would see them coming and going all the time. There's like tens of thousands of UFO reports every year, but they materialize and dematerialize. Mm. If they're coming in from different star systems, we would see highways. You know, we would catch them going by the moon all the time. We catch them going by the ISS and we'd see them coming and going, but they don't. They pop in and out of our existence. And that seems to indicate time travel. If you have something materialize in your three dimensions of space, it indicates that it moved through the only other dimension we know of is time. You know, you, you take a, a baby, I, I talk about this as a weird analogy in my first book, a baby that doesn't have object permanence, you're holding an apple in front of it, turns its head, move the apple, disappeared, you know? But that's in space and time. We're taking apples and moving them through that fourth dimension into other people's perceptions. You know, and maybe the same craft that's seen by, um, you know, Joe Schmo in Kentucky is the exact same craft that Ezekiel saw or Homo erectus. You mm. know, I don't know if they go back that far, but it could be the exact same craft that's just popping in and out of these different temporal reference frames. Mm. That's really interesting. One of the things, uh, it's sort of a paradox if you think about it, if they come back in time and they tell basically take care of the environment you hear that message a lot yeah. but they're already from the future so they already mm -hmm. know what you did that's the paradox yeah i met this guy right after my talk um and we got into that yeah. and um 
because I've thought about that a lot too. It's like, are they warning us about something? And I, I go into this in depth in my second book um, <clears throat> because like the nuke thing is an example. You know, are they warning us that this is going to happen and we, those that pay attention, prepare themselves or are they trying to avert it? And in the block universe model where everything's self-consistent, you don't change anything. So did they always come back and give us these warnings so we talk about it and we don't do it because we see that it's negative, but it didn't change anything. They're just always coming back and giving us these warnings so it doesn't happen. Never happens, but they still give us the warning because they know that's the thing that hmm. prevented it. Or in yeah. the many worlds interpretation of quantum mechanics, you could have change. You could have them coming back because in their timeline, there was a war. Hmm. They're trying to avoid that. They come back, say, don't do this. We don't do it. There's a separate timeline where it didn't happen. Mm. But then there's paradox because you interjected change. Yeah. And and so if it never happened, how do they know to come back and, and tell us not to do it? Well, there's the other timeline where they did because it did happen that timeline. But this timeline where it didn't, do they just hop over to that timeline now and are like, oh, sweet. You know, there's no nukes Whoa. here. But do they exist in that timeline? Do they have family or friends? Because everything's different, mm. you know? So... Really, yeah. the only thing that matters as far as paradox is if there can be change. But if there's not, and that is the conventional model among physicists and philosophers, is that there's no change in the block universe. So, in my mind, it becomes a warning. Hmm. Unless, you know, we don't do it because of them, which still isn't a change. It's just a self-consistent, don't nuke yourselves. A, a friend of mine, someone I'm sure you know, but uh, I'd rather leave their name out of it be, because uh, they were doing work in Hollywood on a documentary that had to do with mass extinction events. And he contacted separate scientists that study that. I don't know what they're called. I don't know what their titles are. But he said, uh, where do you think uh, humans will be in 100 years and like most of them said, we don't think that there's going to be humans in 100 years. Oh, there's going to be humans. Come on. Yeah. Dick Cheney's got like 100 bunkers all over the world, man. Some people will survive. Even if there's a cataclysm, you know, even if yeah. there's like asteroid nuclear war, people will survive. Well, you know, here's a question since we're on this topic. And I, and I hope you answered that enough or did you have more to say? I was going to plug my third book. <laughs> okay. All right, go ahead and just That's it. what my third book's about. Is it really? Yeah. Oh, all right. It's yeah. about that that whole question of um kind of the last two questions, warring timelines and the fact that for future humans to exist, we don't need everybody to survive. Mm. It could be seven people and they still exist. Uh, so that brings me to the question that I I've wanted to ask someone like you. I can't imagine how humans made it through ice ages. How did they make it through ice ages? We killed fuzzy, warm animals and took their skin and fire. We invented fire. We didn't invent fire. Fires existed since yeah. the sun. <laughs> I started trying to go back in my mind and I was like, yeah, that I started with the sun, actually. <laughs> Probably earlier suns than that. <laughs> Maybe even the Big Bang had some fire yeah. involved. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Um, but no, when we 
harness the power of fire. There, there's an interesting correlation actually between when we first started making fire, Homo erectus about 1.8 million years ago, and when we started napping stone tools. Mm. Uh, because what happens when you strike flint against flint? It makes a spark. Yeah. We lived in a pretty dry area of East Africa. It's very likely that we're napping stone tools and fire formed on your feet. And you're like, oh my God, yeah. there's a God in these rocks, you know? Yeah. yeah. But no, that's just what happens. Mm -hmm. um, and then, yeah, a lot of stuff happened with language and uh, grouping people around fire. Um, but no, I think... Um, I think I, I forgot what we were talking about. Well, that usually doesn't happen to me. How the heck? I did. Yeah. How the heck did they survive during the? Ice yeah, yeah, yeah. Fire, depression? fire, fire. So you could stay warm with fire. Once we controlled it, we can make it anywhere. Yeah, but what about sustenance, plants, things like animals? That? We're mm -hmm. hunting giant ass animals. We, well, you yeah, need a woolly mammoth for like they five on? weeks. You know, what did they survive on? When the? I mean, did, did everything migrate? To the warmer areas. Here, here's the crazy thing to me. Okay, I got this moose that lives in my yard. Well, <laughs> it lives in our canyon. It comes in my yard a lot. I spent a whole week in a fenced-in area of my yard, just eating the shit out of my trees. <laughs> and I'm like, bro, I like those trees, you know. But also, you were here first. Yeah. So have at it. Cool. Yeah. You know, and I go out there, and it's just like a nub. Like this giant <laughs> aspen is just a nub. <laughs> They, they don't necessarily just eat things that grow on the ground. And maybe mammoths yeah. did, too. They had those big, giant teeth, just like a moose. You know, yeah. So maybe they're eating tree, tree branches, too. It, it eats the willows and the aspens in the winter. And then it just mows down on, on grass throughout the summer. The elk do, too. But they would have to go away from, you know, you're talking about the glaciers being two miles high. They have to be, the only thing that would survive would be in their temperate areas, I would imagine. Or well, or yeah, but we didn't we didn't live on top of the glaciers either. Mm. You know, ain't you ever seen the the Mother of Dragons show? What's it mm. called Game of Thrones? Oh yes, you know yeah. the big wall, yeah. like the King of the <laughs> oh, North. Yeah, that was all. Like they well, they aren't yeah. living on top of that wall; they're living underneath it. You know, and and nobody <laughs> nobody could live on that. Animals didn't either. Yeah, and that's why. But you have to remember time again. That wall moved north and south seasonally and also geologic time so um and, and it's quite cool. i just read this paper recently about how there's congregations uh i think it was in france around the dordogne river valley uh one of my favorite places just got to visit there recently I went to lasco cave um floated the dordogne on a canoe one day uh it's a major theme in my last book too went there to do the research to write this book actually um, but so as that wall of ice came down, you know, it forced people together or to occupy these areas that were lush because the animals were concentrated too. Mm. you know, so it's like it, it almost like there's a lot of games. My kids play these games where there's like a shrinking world, like, like Fortnite, for instance, you know, the world shrinking. So it forces all of the enemy combatants together to where if there's only a few left, they have to fight each other. They can't just hide out, you know? And it's almost like the Ice Age did that in North America too, um, where it, it like forces you to be here, but then it opens up, you know? And then modern humans came in and killed them all anyway, so it didn't matter, <laughs> and all the animals. But no, it's not like we were living on top of the ice. We still had all the resources. The ice just forced us, and then it all disappeared anyway. 
So, mm -hmm. so here's another one uh, question I'd like to ask someone with your knowledge and, and, and it's just speculation on my end totally, but say the earth is, we know the earth is over 4 billion years old. So is it possible that some type of species existed at some point and there was some type of event that vulcanized the whole surface and we lost all of the fossils of that time period and then it starts up again? No. That's impossible. Mm. Okay. Because they found things <clears throat> that are close to the four billion year old. We have evidence of life, yeah, going back to the origins of life 3.8 billion years ago. There's no place, let me put it this way, there's no way all things could be erased everywhere at the same time. Hmm. Even if we set off all the nukes, even if asteroid comes. I mean, the, the asteroid that took out the dinosaurs didn't erase all evidence of dinosaurs. Hmm. You know, even if there was another one 10 years later after yeah. they all died, we still have that. It hit the Yucatan area just outside of Mexico in the Gulf of Mexico. And that adds to our geologic knowledge because it spreads information all over the planet. Hmm. But it's more concentrated in those areas. You know, you get farther away, you still find evidence of it. There's a, a layer, I forget what it's called, but we look for it all throughout Montana because it's this um, volcanic eruption that just laid down this tiny little layer and we can see the ash still mm. all over the place. You dig down about two meters, not even two meters, like a about three fourths of a meter, depending on the sedimentation. And you'll find that. Mm. And that's like, a, oh, we know exactly when that was. So now you have a time shot there. And it's the same thing with, you know, the volcanoes in East Africa. We, we can date the fossils by the potassium 40, potassium argon dating. The volcano that laid down that information, it resets that atomic clock. So you have this layer above and below the fossils, and you can very accurately date those fossils, even though you can't date them themselves mm -hmm. with, like, carbon-14, because it has a half-life of... I think 7,000 years or something. You can only go through so many half-lives, like six or seven. But we can use that atomic clock, potassium, argon dating thing to date on either side of that. So even these big, massive events help us. They don't hurt us. They don't erase everything. And, and, and yeah, like this, I don't know if this is why you're asking it, but it's one of the few theories that is just dumb is is the the breakaway civilization thing it's just stupid there's absolutely no evidence for it and it doesn't make sense mm -hmm. well it's good to ask someone like you and it, another thing that always just a, a question of when i can't sleep at night i think about all these weird things but uh has the earth been actually growing we think about sediment and sediment of course a lot of its vegetation and stuff that dies and you know what what causes it but also, you know, we're getting, you know, a little bit of, uh, say, meteor meteorites coming in and, you know, things like that. Does the Earth actually grow in mass at all or does it stay pretty steady? I don't know, actually. That's not something I've ever thought about. Um, I don't even know if I could offer, yeah. like, a speculative idea. It, I mean, that's where our oceans came from, I guess, is... Yeah. Comets. Supposedly, yeah. Supposedly, yeah. Um, or God turned on a hose. Yeah, I'm kind of divided between those two theories at the moment. And but one, one last question: We're I'm not a little over time. <laughs> God didn't turn on what, a hose. What about <laughs> it was uh, 
people have thought about like panspermia. Panspermia. Like, oh, the idea that everything's seeded from different. Yeah. I mean, who cares? Honestly, if there's life anywhere, yeah. it, it could end up other places. Yeah. You know, and yeah, it makes sense. Like we know our our water got here from comets, right? So we know that life started in water. Did life come from the frozen water? You know, like tardigrades can survive anything. Mm-hmm. You you could pack them on top of your marijuana pipe and smoke them, and they'd still <laughs> be in your lungs, and then you die, and they'd crawl out like sweet. That was a fun ride. <laughs> like things just some life forms can survive for a long time, but but who cares? Like yeah. who cares where life came from? Whether it was here or somewhere else? I don't think it. I I guess the reason that comes up is because of extraterrestrial life right like that's why mm. people care about that a lot of so if there's life if on comets you they... wonder if there was se- that if people were seated that's a thing you hear a lot i mean maybe an interesting thing to me is that the the earth is about 4.5 billion years old it was all volcanoes and crazy it's just like a bubbling mass and then once we had an atmosphere and liquid water almost instantly of life yeah and did that life ride here on a comet from somewhere else did it just come about through the process of entropy? And I mean, we're entropy reducers, you know, sunlight, you had sunlight, water, heat, you have all of those in this early earth environment. And so I always take that to mean that if there's life here and it happened that soon after this planet was habitable, it's probably everywhere. I would think so. Yeah. But it's probably not an upright walking hominin Hmm. like us. Because we have a very specific, like we were talking about earlier, if the dinosaurs hadn't died, we wouldn't be here. Yeah. You know, there'd be more evolved mammals, but they'd still be underground. Yeah. So there's all of these specific events, dinosaurs dying, and this is just broad snapshots. Dinosaurs die, mammals come out, our ancestors go into the trees, we come down from the trees. Yeah. Even over that course of time, we didn't have to be as intelligent as we were. We had culture. There's this feedback loop with culture and our brain development. That seems very, very rare that that would ever happen again the exact same way somewhere else. Yeah. Besides but you have people like Simon Conway Morris who say there's convergent evolution everywhere. I don't think he's right, but he's smart and maybe yeah. he is. And I say dumb shit all the time, so maybe I'm wrong, you know? But it just doesn't make sense how that would happen so many times in so many places. And like I said in my talk today, they would happen at the same time. The universe is 15 billion years old almost. Yeah. What are the odds in that 15 billion years that we would line up just like this? Yeah. Yeah. I I, I find it highly improbable, but it could happen. It's just, it's about numbers for me. Yeah. Okay. So uh, a lot of systems where there's planets are binary stars for one. Mm -hmm. There's also everything. There's all kinds of different gravity. Wouldn't that all these things affect? How we evolve? I think so. Yeah, um, it's it's something I I sort of come back to a lot, almost even harp on. You could say that our bipedalism. You know, like like I said in my talk, like I say in my books, we're the only upright walking mammal. We're the only habitually upright walking primate, and on this planet, a small planet. As I mentioned, we have between two and 4% of all planets, exoplanets that have been discovered so far, which is pretty representative of things in our Milky Way, uh, are the same size or smaller than Earth. So if it's this rare on this planet with 9.8 meters per square gravity, it's bound to be 
even rarer on these much bigger Earth-like exoplanets. Mm -hmm. And we suffer from all kinds of problems, too. I didn't get into this in my lecture, but yeah. Yeah. Herniated discs, bad backs, bad knees, varicose veins, um, hernias. What what are the butt things? The hemorrhoids. (laughs) Hemorrhoids are a result of that. So, yeah, we're we're not great at it, but the benefits it conferred outweigh the negative costs. We call it an evolutionary trade-off in biology. So, yeah, it it seems like based on the exoplanet data from NASA and the exoplanet uh, study at the University of Arecibo, um, sorry, the Arecibo Laboratory at the University of um, Puerto Rico, it's not likely to happen. You know, again, there could be convergent evolution. It could happen on the right planet. But coming back to what we were talking about earlier, are they close enough to find us? Mm. Are they close enough to travel here? Yeah. Um, would they, you know? And if they did, why not say hi? Right. Why not just be like, hey, we, we look just like you. It's crazy that we yeah. came from this planet. What are the odds, you know? But they're, they're not doing that. Yeah. It's a very different interaction. And, and I think that interaction, the covert aspects of it make more sense in a time travel context. Mm. Yeah. Very good. Well, thanks so much, Michael. Thank so, you, Marm. Always, always a pleasure. Never got to shake your hand after yeah. an interview. That's a fun thing That's to right. do. Hey, you're right. <laughs> all right. Take care. Hey, wait. Where can someone find you and your books and all that? Uh, Pornhub. <laughs> I'm going to keep all this stuff in. By the way. <laughs> <laughs> no, I got I got a website. Um, just Google it. I don't know. Yeah. Google Michael, Michael Masters. Masters. I'll put it in the show notes. I'll oh, that's that even video. better. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for that. You bet. All right. You take care. You too. All right. See you next week. We'll be back with uh, Jonathan Weigand. And thanks so much for hanging in tonight. Keep your eyes to the sky.